The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman was born in India to an academic family. Conversations were intellectual and often about reaching higher. As a child, she often found herself in a college classroom with her father, who was a professor. Throughout her formative years and even into adulthood, gender was never something she thought about. That was until she became a mother, and she realized she was a businesswoman and leader who was affected by her biology. Today, she has her foot in two worlds. She is back engaged in academia, but is also a highly successful C-suite coach and advisor, as well as an award-winning speaker. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Tanvi Gotham. Hi, Tanvi. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Annette. You, you summarized my whole life in two minutes. I need to go back and listen to this recording. You have so much wisdom, Tanvi, that I want to uncover. So let's get started, okay? So your grandmother told you, if you have to step outside the line to get something, you do it. What did she mean by this? And is there a cost to stepping outside the line? Yeah, I think my grandmother sure was one fearless woman, right? I mean, she actually got onto uh, a ship to go from India to England with two little kids. And she was going to spend like a month on that ship. Um, And here's the best part. She knew no English. So that's the kind of fearless she was. She wasn't afraid of stepping out of the line. So I reckon that she thought that that's part of my inheritance from her is not being afraid to, you know, step out and do things that, you know, may look like to other people like, wow, why would you do something like that? You can't even speak a language and you're going to be on a ship for, for a month. So not be afraid to go after your dreams, not be afraid to dream bigger than you might have been given permission for. I think that's what she was trying to do. And is there a cost to not doing that? Yes, I think there very much is. There's always a cost. I mean, I I, I think in life, there is no choice that comes without a cost. Um, uh, Even the good choices come with a cost because every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else, right? So it is all about choices. Um, I just think that I would like to live a life of no regrets where, you know, I can look back and say, I went out of my dreams, even if I was afraid. The cost of not doing that is, um, you know, as the famous saying goes, um, dying with your song inside of you. Uh, Looking back at your life and saying, I could have, but I didn't. I don't ever want to do that. I am absolutely happy getting it wrong, uh, but I have to try. Yeah, and I think, and that's that's a brave space to be in in itself, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So we're going to stay in this talking about fear a little bit, because speaking of your grandmother, she taught you to be fearless. You just mentioned that. So what does being fearless look like for you? Wow. You sure come up with some some questions that need, <laughs> need me to reflect about, because it's like this. If you ask a fish about water, the fish will say, what water? <laughs> because they're just so used to living in that environment, right? So what does fearless look like to me? Um, I think uh, when most people ask why, I tend to ask why not. And I think for me, it is about 
having the ability to fall down seven, get up eight. And the part that I struggle with, uh, I'm better at it now. The part that I struggle with is about having compassion when I get it wrong. Because I don't know of anybody, I don't know if anybody who's listening knows of anybody who always gets it right. It's possible. <laughs> and yet when we get it wrong, it really stings, doesn't it? Particularly us driven women. Because the thing, it's not, it's not just, it's not just the, uh, you know, the act of the outcome not being what you wanted. But I think this issue I have struggled with, and I know a lot of women struggle with this, is you tend to chase near perfectionism when that's not possible. And over the years, I have had to recognize because, you know, in India, we have this great philosophical text called the Gita, which talks about you're only in control of the process and not the outcome. And the pandemic has come around to teach us you're not even in control of the process. <laughs> it has taken fearless to a different level, hasn't it? Uh, it has. You, you don't know if the process is going to work because it hasn't been a process in the past. Or, or, or even worse than that, I'm going to interrupt you because it's even worse than that. The things that always worked, the process that always worked, now may not work. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the things I've had to do as part of my own evolution is the recognition of um, how little control we can have. And I don't want to take us in the in the trajectory of of philosophy, but. I think the answer to the question, what does fearless look like for you, is the willingness to take action, move forward with a sense of purpose, even though the outcomes may be uncertain and not guaranteed. I would say that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I will tell you that when I move in that space, it's not comfortable. No, but isn't this the thing, Annette, that the more you have used to be in that space, the more familiar it feels, even if it is uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you do it. So it's like I, I, one of my guests said, they do it scared. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when you're in an aircraft and I'm obsessed with aircraft analogies because I wanted to be an F-16 combat fighter pilot, the first thing in my life, but which didn't happen. So I'm obsessed with aircraft analogies. But, you know, when you're on the runway and there's that rush of taking off and then when the wheels come up and you feel all that pressure coming on you. And, you know, you just have to breathe through that pressure because very soon you will be rising up and cruising altitude and you'll be, you know, the seatbelt sign is off, sign will come on. You get familiar uh, with that feeling of discomfort. And, you know, you just you, if you can just sit it out just a little bit more, you will soon hit cruising altitude. That's not to say there will not be turbulence, but that familiarity of discomfort is something that. I have come to recognize and accept and breathe through. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good advice and and wisdom from someone that's been there, obviously. So when women want to break into bigger spaces, we're going to stay in this whole space that we're in. So when they want to break into bigger spaces, have big ideas, there's often a lot of self-doubt. So what do women need to do to find the courage to go big? I think the, the first thing they have to do is ask themselves. What is the cost of inaction? Right. And that makes it very clear on what are you willing to live with if you didn't go after your big dreams. So the cost of not going big 
could mean maybe leading a life of mediocrity. It could mean not honoring the gifts that you have been given. And all of us have been given gifts. Some of us are very good at hiding it. Others are very good at fearing it. Others are very good at not using it. We all have gifts. And sometimes acknowledging and accepting that the gift was given to us, not because we should hide it in a corner, but that we are supposed to amplify it. I mean, before we began this podcast, we we talked about how it would you know, go out and help other women. At the end of the day, when you kind of think about you know, what it is you want to do in terms of sharing your gift, your dreams were given to you for a purpose. They weren't randomly assigned to you. It's not just, it's not just uh, you know, happenstance. You have to pay attention to your dreams because they're trying to talk, to tell you something. It's an invitation. Now you can refuse that invitation. And you can postpone that invitation, uh, but you'll be the one who'll be missing out on the party. So ask yourself, what is the cost of not doing this? Um, And of course, fear is real and lack of self-confidence is real. I mean, in some ways, if you're not feeling fear and lack of confidence, I would be worried because that means that you have become so sure of yourself that you have no room for growth. Um, but it is like we were saying, it's about identifying those fears. And some of them are real. You have to get tangible help. You have to get resources. You have to get allies. You have to create networks. You have to uh, have a strategy in place. And then there are others which are conditioned. Who are you to be dreaming so big? What makes you think you have the right to go there? What do you think will happen if you decided to challenge the status quo? It's been forever. What's so special about you? Now, that's a separate conversation. So I think that fear is, is simply an opportunity to sit down and say, how am I going to work through what I need to work through? How am I going to get myself the help that is needed? To go after this invitation that my heart or my soul or my spirit or my life journey is inviting me for. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So going to continue on this. We're kind of on this journey of big spaces and big dreams. And, and, you know, often we quit on those and certainly quitting never feels good for the high achiever. But you told me that you believe quitting is even more accessible to women than to men. So what do you mean by this? So you see, nobody will blink an eyelid if a woman quits on something. Right. Um, Because there is this narrative around, oh, women, you know, they have to handle home and they have to handle work and, you know, everything is more difficult for them, which is a narrative that I'm not going to deny. It is there. It is true for a lot of women. So in some ways, the door is wide open for you to use that as an opportunity to quit if you wanted to. And quitting is always an option. Whatever you're thinking of quitting right now, you can do that in the next heartbeat, right? Um, and it's it's really about recognizing that, like we were talking earlier, right? What's, what's the cost of it? So you will quit, but what's the cost of it? And the cost of if it is living with regret, then I would suggest you persist. But there's a conversation to this and that I want to bring up about you know, society at the end of the day has a lower bar of expectation for a lot of women in some senses if they quit and a much higher bar if they persist because you have to work twice as hard sometimes to prove half as much. 
Um, but I also think for the, the high achieving women in particular, you need to know what your non-negotiables are. And if the non-negotiables are being challenged, you should feel free to quit uh, and not make it, you know, an ego deal or, or even, you know, be guilt-tripped about the fact that you're quitting. So let me tell you a story because I do a lot of work on storytelling, right? And I remember I was doing my PhD and I had just had a baby and, you know, I was, I was new to motherhood. I was living in the U.S., didn't have much of a community around me. My onboarding into motherhood, as they might say in HR, <laughs> was a little bit rough. Um, let's just leave it at that. And I had I was trying to submit my dissertation, and it wasn't easy because I was working with three different universities, three different disciplines. It was not just organizational behavior. There was, you know, um, psychology, and then there was um, information systems. So it was an in, it was a multidisciplinary thesis. So it was damn ambitious. I mean, my, my, my supervisors had told me that this is one of the most ambitious dissertation topics they've ever seen in all their career. So, and it became very difficult and it became difficult to a point that it started impacting my family's well-being. And I remember one night when the pressure was too much, after years and years and years and years of investing in my dissertation, I actually decided I wanted to quit. And you would think I was totally mad for having done the research, done the analysis, written it, and just not being willing to pull the trigger on dissertation. And the reason for that was um, it was starting to impact my family and their well-being and the stress they were experiencing. And, and that's not a cost I was willing to pay. And I was very much ready to walk away from years and years and years of work because I didn't want my family to experience that pressure. And I remember that conversation very clearly that night and my family huddled around me and, you know, the elders counseled me and mentored me and assured me and got me back on the track and I didn't quit. And of course I submitted and I did my PhD, but that was one moment in my life. I very clearly remember where quitting was, was an option and it was an option I was voluntarily going to go for. And I was okay for that. And so knowing your non-negotiables is very, very important um, as you reach for your dreams. What are you willing to give up for your dreams and what will you not give up for your dreams? I think that's very, very good wisdom to be giving because I can even think about that in my own life. So many things I've pushed for. And sometimes I push to the point where I hit some of those non-negotiables, maybe my health, maybe my marriage, uh, maybe some other family relationship, whatever. So that's, um, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. So we all have egos. So how do you know, Tanby, when yours takes control? Oh, that's a big question. I think I know what my ego is in control if it starts becoming only about I, me, myself. Um, and I have to say, I have done so much of self-work that nobody else needs to point that to me. I, I become aware of that as quickly as it happens. And look, there's nothing wrong with having an ego. I think everybody should have a healthy ego. I think that 
some people who don't have a healthy ego let their boundaries be permeated and allow themselves to be taken for granted and get pushed around and give more than they should be giving so excuse me ego in and of itself is not a problem it's an overinflated ego that can be very very problematic um and i think for me that check is you know what am i going after and is it going after because you know my my ego will get a sense of you know real oh that happened that way or am i going after it because there's genuinely a cause to be served over here better for the community i'm working with is it better for the organization i'm working with is it better for the individual that i'm coaching and if i come to the conclusion that this is other focused and not self focused i can throw a lot of weight behind pushing through to make things happen and i think that's what a healthy ego looks like knowing what to back up knowing what boundaries to draw knowing what to say no to knowing what not to tolerate but if it is just in the service of you know i me and myself that's a very very narrow way of living your life a lot of people live their life like that i just happen to be not one of those people yeah that's interesting because often our ego will take control and we won't even know it's happened and then we'll have all kinds of fallout from that and then we have to get ourselves back on the path don't we oh yeah absolutely um you know one of the things i i say is kindness to self and others is the highest form of wisdom if you find that ego is getting the better of you spend some time thinking about you know what is that unmet need that you need to take care of is it validation are you looking for someone to to tell you how good you are because here's the thing if you don't tell yourself how good you are president obama can come and tell you tomorrow how good you are and it won't be enough won't be enough you're exactly right and <laughs> that's the truth <laughs> i would still appreciate him coming and telling me though <laughs> for sure for sure so you told me that obstacles happen when you take your eyes off the goal so explain what you meant by this and how does one get back on track when their eyes get off the gold because i think it's tied a little bit to this ego thing that we talked about as well. Mm. So i i think somebody very famous said that not me. Uh so i can't take credit for that. Um i can and i do take credit for some of the one liners i i surprise myself with but this is not not mine. Um so let me give you an example. I'm you know i'm uh, the the convention chair for a global convention that's happening and you know we're leading a team of volunteers and as as anybody will tell you if they're leading a team of volunteers there's some people who pull their weight there's some people who pull twice what they were supposed to and then there's some people who try they sign up um and i think to anybody who's listening you know whether you're in the corporate world or you are you know self employed it doesn't matter find an opportunity to lead a volunteer organization and 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 you will find your learning curve <laughs> goes up dramatically your ability to work with people with different styles different personalities different needs in a volunteer organization is is about 10 times as hard because why hey, no one's tied to some any contract except service right and there are people when they don't show up it's a little bit disappointing and you know i could get a very frustrated about well I thought we had an agreement. I thought you signed up because you wanted to do this. I thought you you promised you would do this, right? 
But I have a choice. I can sit and think about this person. I can talk about this person. I can moan about this person. I can get demotivated by the fact that there is somebody like that on my team. Or I can choose to focus on what we create, which is you know, an event that can shift the way people think, the way feel the way they do business and all of that. And I can think about people who are actually showing up and the ones who actually are showing up twice, even for the ones who are not showing up. And so it's about directing attention. It just It really just is about that. Where are you directing attention? You could get lost in the weeds with this is not going right and that is not going right and this could have gone better. Uh, but when you focus on the goal, you look at everything that comes in the way and say, right, so that happened. Clearly, that didn't happen according to plan. And I have a limited amount of energy. What do I want to focus that energy on? Do I want to focus on or do I want to focus on already what is, you know, a sunk cost or time wasted because somebody didn't show up or, you know, in somebody else's life, it could look like a contract hard for didn't come through um, a deal that you were promised uh, was taken away uh, or, or any other such disappointment, which is not to say you shouldn't spend time processing disappointment. It's just that don't get caught up in it. That's what I mean. When you remind yourself of why you started, you find the energy to carry on. So be clear on why. What I love about this podcast is there's so many interrelated threads, right? We've been talking about the cost of doing something, the non-negotiables of doing something, the the ability to to know when to quit, when not to quit. And now we are talking about this idea of being, being so focused on the why of your goal that everything else is par for the course. It's 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 a hiccup. And that's what I mean when I say, you know, keep focused on the goal. Draw your energy from there when you find yourself depleted with the process of getting to that goal. Right. I hear you. Exactly. Tanvi, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with the other women? Um, in my greatness, I would say that for me, um, greatness in and of itself has not been my goal ever. I, I don't think it ever will be. I'm rather driven by a very, very small but enduring inspiration that was given to me by my grandparents, which is just this. Leave a place better than you found it. That's it. That has kind of been the red thread through my days in school, through my days in university, through my days in the corporate world, through my days in, um, you know, my client organizations, through my days right now in a volunteer organization. How will somebody know that I had been there? Because something changed, something shifted for the better. Something that somebody can look back and say, oh, thank God that happened, you know, because it has made an impact. That's a wonderful piece of wisdom to conclude our conversation. And I have been so appreciative for you taking time. I know you're overwhelmed with this global conference you're working on. We had to work around time zones because you sit in Singapore and I'm here in the state of Virginia. But thank you so much for taking time to share your wisdom. You don't know how much I appreciate this, Tanvi. 
Oh no, thank you, Annette. On behalf of all your listeners and all your guests, thank you for being someone who's crafting this space and allowing these conversations because I think we, in the rush of everyday life, don't have these spaces. They're becoming smaller and smaller. So thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, and Tanvi is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman's story unfolds. 